And now, weighing in out of the blue corner, Josh the Pong Thompson. 100%. And on the other mic, he weighs in from the red corner, Big Sean McCarthy. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Weighing In Podcast, which you can catch on YouTube, Google Play Podcast, Apple iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and as I like to always say, a plethora of other platforms. We are here for you, and we are going to do a show in between shows to kind of do a little background, a little question and answer, and maybe uh, we're going to answer a couple of the comments that we get from the previous podcast, which we think will be kind of fun. So we also have t-shirts for sale. I know I have someone saying don't sell t-shirts, but we have t-shirts for sale on prowrestlingtees.com. If you go to prowrestlingtees.com, put in weighing in, look at the picture, hit the picture. There's four different t-shirts there that you can then sport one of the very cool weighing in t-shirts. And I don't care what other people say about it. So Josh, what's up? Not much, man. We were uh, we're gonna do this little segment today called "Hitting the Way," basically just hitting the comment section. So we're gonna weigh in on the comments, and uh, I'm excited for that. We'll get to that later, but let's get right into the gist of what's going on this weekend. DC and Stipe. Let's just we're just gonna break down just this one fight and just talk about that fight and get into it and what I'm going to take. Obviously I'm going to take DC. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, you're going to take Steve. You, you I, almost, said I was going to say, I'm going to take Steve a just you to can, tell you, just so everyone can get mad at me. I, we could, play, who, we, I will give you whoever you want. We could play devil's advocate because I got, I got murdered in the comment section. And by the way, guys, I'm okay with that. Okay. I love that you guys are replying. <laughs> I love that you guys are giving me a hard time. You know, let's just make it all clear. I trained with DC, DC for his whole MMA career. I remember the first day he walked into the gym. I, we have been close friends for the longest time. You know, I know his family was at his wedding, like all these things. So when you guys get on me about, oh, you're riding his nuts and this and that. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, he's my boy. <laughs> That's kind of what ride or die boys do for each other. So, um, yeah, I want you guys to understand that. So anyways, but I can't. We can play devil's advocate. I, I think no. that. Are you sure? Because no, Look, at, let, let's be honest. I think I know DC pretty well, and I think I know what he needs to do to win this fight. But. I can't say that I know him better and all the insides and outs than you do because you, yeah. you've, you've lived with him, man. So yeah, all right, all right, let's go, let's do it. Okay, so you you give me you give me Stepe's points first. You give me Stepe's well, points first. First off, Stepe has certain advantages in this fight, just basic advantages. But it's not athleticism, I'll tell you that. Absolutely, athleticism <laughs> is one of them, but height and reach is another one, yeah. and, and the reach is a very important aspect of this fight. Daniel Cormier does certain things incredibly well that he doesn't even get credit for. One thing that Daniel does is he's got a low inside or low level calf kick that is fast. He shoots it out really fast and it's got power behind it. He's got big legs, big hips. He creates good torque on it and it, it will affect Stipe if he doesn't have an answer for it. So what I'm saying Stipe needs to do is anytime Daniel hits you with that inside or outside low leg kick, you need to respond. You have to have a response. Be the response, you're going to check that kick. Be the response, you're going to eat the kick and counter him and make him pay for unleashing that kick. You have got to make him realize every time that I, I launch that thing, I get hit or something bad happens to me that hurts. Stipe has got to have an answer for that low kick because it sets up a lot of what Daniel does. 
Daniel likes to come inside. You have got to keep him at length. If you watch the second fight, really didn't happen in the first fight. Daniel started actually having his hands down and then started reaching out in this zombie-like fashion. Wanting, That's the eye pokes. That's the eye pokes. Yeah, absolutely. Wanting Stipe to actually grab a hold of those hands. Wanting him to grab. Because if, if he grabs hold, guess what? I'm going to suck and pull him right in. I'm going to be right where I want. Footwork and movement are key to Stipe staying on the outside, staying long, and utilizing a very good jab. He's got a very stiff jab. It's strong. And every time that Daniel starts to splay his hands out towards you, making it to where he's got that upper guard, basically, then make him pay by either jab or hook over the top or go to the body with that nice teep kick inside Anytime his hands come up where they're up at that shoulder level, make him pay to the body. I don't care how you make him pay. I think the front teep kick is a beautiful way to make him pay. But you can step off, hook to the body. Anytime his hands are not guarding that midsection, you need to make him pay for what he's doing. Is that it? No, that's not it. But I'm giving you a chance to talk. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so everything you said, I agree with. I do. Oh, I, I agree. Look I agree that. with That's it. That's scary. Well, here's the thing: is because I really believe the way that DC needs to win this fight is he needs to forget the first two fights completely, because those type of things will not they will not work in this fight. Now, I know he had some success, like you were talking about. DC did with that calf kick. I'm not a big fan of the inside one as much as I am the outside one because he had more success with the outside one. And the outside one also um, does damage. The inside one will knock you off balance to set up your punches and kicks and combinations. But you would really have to be ripping them hard to have an actual effect on that inside leg kick. It's really just to, to knock the balance off, maybe right into throwing a knee or maybe right into throwing hands, you know, when they're trying to recover their balance. That outside one does damage, especially in a five-round fight. It could add up quickly. That's one. And two is, in the first fight, it was able to knock Stipe off balance a couple times. The inside one didn't do a whole lot. It just kind of just, it's something to think about. That's about it. And I'm not saying not to use it. I'm just simply saying the effect was better with the outside one. There's that. I also, I get, I for years, we've always got on DC about, he likes to hug the head in the overhook position. But every time he had success against Stipe, it was when he had the underhook against the fence. Every time he hugged the head, Stipe was able to kind of push him to the ground because he's so much bigger than him. So he would just basically dip his head out and then just push DC down to the ground against the fence in the first fight. And he had some success in getting the takedown, even though DC was able to pop back up. But it was like, that should never happen. Like that, those little things are things that should athleticism, Josh. No, that's just called being big. Okay. That's like a big guy falling on a little guy. Yeah. That's athleticism. All, no, no, that's not your idea of being an athlete. An athlete is completely different than mine. I'm not sure you know what that word means. Okay. That, so the, my, my point is, is I'm not, I'm not taking anything away from Sipe. He, the, you are correct. He is an athlete. hundred percent. There's no, there's no doubt about whether he's an athlete or not. You can't be the fucking world champion in the UFC, a heavyweight world champion. If you're not an athlete. And I think that's what made, has made him so dominant as a heavyweight. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, pat him on the back, man. He, he is a great champion. 
I'm not talking about his fighting. I'm not talking about that. When we're talking about the other stuff, I'll get into it later. His athleticism, there's no doubt. His willingness and, and ability to adjust in the last fight as the fight went on with the body shots is absolutely amazing because we've seen in past fights, not him, but other fighters that just can't adapt as the fight goes on. You know, and we talked about, and I'll get into Ricky Benejas. Remember Ricky? He didn't make any adjustments in his last fight against Pettis and it cost him the fight. Stipe is leaps and bounds above that. And he was able to make those adjustments that won him the fight and got him the knockout. So I have to pat, I have to pat him on the back, man. Great job. Great cornering, great work by his guys. I don't even know if they told him to do that, but he was having success with that. The one thing though, that I get nervous about with Stipe is not just the size, but DC has got to keep his back off of the fence because he has a tendency to lean to the same way every single time. Oh, there that was one of my next things as far as Stipe. And Stipe. Daniel is, loves to go to his right with his head. Down. Yep. And, and we saw that when he fought, I want to say when he fought Josh Barnett, Josh Barnett was able to cut him against the fence. And he that cut was bothering him the whole time. And he leans that way a lot. And it drives me crazy. But these Stipe being as tall as he is, that knee doesn't have very far to travel to knee him in the head. Okay, so you have the knees, you have the body shots, and anytime his back is to the fence, he's Stipe is able to use his big body to, to weigh on him. That's what concerns me about the Stipe situation. Outside of that, in the open field, I think DC has all the chances to knock him out, has all the chances to out-wrestle him, has all the chances to kick his legs. You're saying keep him at distance, which is, I think, more beneficial for Stipe is to keep him at distance unless he can crush the space and put him to the fence. That's the only way that I see, I'd like to see, if I was DC, if I was Stipe, to see him put DC against the fence. If they are connected like they were in the first fight in the open field, that doesn't work well for him. Too many tools, too much room. He's able to use, he can move left to right and he can foot sweep. He can do all these things. DC can do it against Stipe in the open cage. In the, against the fence, it, that takes some of it away. And I, I don't think, I don't think that, it, I don't think that advantage goes to, to uh, DC being pressed against the fence with his back there. I think if DC has his back to the fence, he's losing the fight the entire time. Because he's trying to, at, at that point, he's grasping air or he's frustrated in a situation, not thinking about moving his feet, and he's losing. So, but when you're saying, you know, I look at DC has the advantage and he does reach for the head, but he, he reaches for it with a single collar tire, always with his left hand, always jackhammering with an uppercut with his right hand. Sometimes he'll bring it around and over. You know, that's how he caught Stipe in the first fight. Stipe got hit with a shot that he did not see. And it's always those punches that you don't see. Those are the ones that hurt you, especially when you're not ready for them. You know, they're super damaging. But on the outside, I especially, I'll give, I think DC is very fast for a 43-year-old and a heavy guy. He's still fast. Uh -huh. He's got speed. But that speed diminishes quickly when he starts to breathe hard. <clears throat> and so... I'll even give him maybe in the first minute and a half, two minutes, maybe three minutes of the of the fight. I think DC might have a speed advantage. After that, it dissipates. Yeah, I think and, he'll have the speed advantage the first minute of every round. After that, except maybe in the the fifth round, yeah, yeah. because you, he'll be refreshed after the minute rest, and I'll give him another minute of speed. But then after that, I agree with you. 
Yeah, and so what Stipe does well is he gives a good feint before he starts landing things. You watch his feints. He sets a guy up. He sees where their hands go, and he attacks the area that that hand dropped to. He'll go above it. If the hands came up, he'll go below, and he does a really good job of mixing up his attacks to what you did on that last feint. So he needs to feint DC a lot because just those feints will create a pressure for DC and will make him tense. It's going to make him have to work and react even though nothing's happening. And so the feints are a big part of it. But the other part is, you know, like what you were saying is when you take a look at what DC does well, that single collar tie works well for him. If DC can put Stipe against the cage with Stipe's back on it, he's got a lot of Randy Couture-like techniques and abilities to make Stipe work hard because I don't care who you are. If you're the taller guy going against a short guy and your back gets put against the cage and that short guy's into you, it's hard to get rid of him. The mm -hmm. head fits perfectly into directionally chain. positioning your, your head to one side or the other, whatever they want. And the shots are just easier for them. And you're stuck in an area where your long levers now almost work against you in the fight. Yeah. So he has got to make sure that he does not allow Daniel to put him against the cage and, and remain there. If you get put against the cage, it's everything into turning that position, you know, digging the underhook and swinging it around or getting out. You've got to do that. But at, at distance, I think at distance, this is Stipe's fight all day long. It's not DC's. DC doesn't last long enough, and, he, and he's throwing. Usually, at distance, he throws off of his toes. He doesn't have the ability, especially when he's fighting the bigger, taller guys, just because he's kind of reaching up. You watch his feet, he kind of goes up on his toes to yeah. launch that one-two that he'll throw, where Stipe can stand there and plant his feet and land that beautiful jab he has, and then every now and then switch it up with the counter and that hook, either the hook to the head or the body, set DC up, because as you will see in what you talked about, he swings his head to the right. Yeah about 75% of the time. Maybe even it's more. A, it, yeah, it's, I'm <laughs> telling you, it's, it's at least a three-quarter to yeah. one-quarter. It is always coming to the right, and that's how John Jones set him up. Yeah. John Jones set him up the same way, and when he finally set him up with his hands and he brought the kick up, what side was it to? The DC leaning and dipping to that right side, which only intensifies the blow, and Stipe can set him up on that side based upon a characteristic that he possesses, that he is not going to be able to change. Yeah. He can tell himself, don't do it, but just physiologically throughout his career, it is something that he has gone to, relied on, and it is ingrained in him. It is part of his hard drive. He yeah. is going to do it. You know he's going to do it. Set him up on it. Yeah, it's it's like it's like a right-hander fighting a southpaw for the first time. They just continue to dip the wrong direction right into that, that southpaw uh, combination. Um, yes, I, I think DC needs to do, DC needs to, if Stipe, I should go into Stipe. If Stipe is allowing DC build to up press my guy. him. Come on, build him well, up. I'm trying to help. I'm trying to help here. <laughs> if Stipe allows DC to press him to his back to the fence, it's going to be a long night for Stipe. But I also think though, too, is that he needs to fight him very similar to how Kane fought Dos Santos. Is that he needs to put his forehead in his chin 
He needs to keep it underneath his chin. He needs to make Stipe look up to the lights, never get an idea of what DC's doing down below. He needs to start attacking on the single, pull him away from the fence, utilize, not utilize, but make him use his, his athleticism to stay on his feet. If he can do that, I'm not saying he needs to get the takedown. He just needs to make Stipe work to stay on his feet. So we we talk about this all the time um, at AK when we press guys to the fence. We'll snatch the single, pull them away, and then we'll drive back into a body lock. If we don't get to the body lock, at least we're still in the same spot. You're, you're making them think that you're trying to take them down when you're really not. You're just, you're making them not comfortable against the fence. So DC needs to get back to that type of mentality of, on bigger guys, they're not they're not able to react as fast. Stipe is because he's an athlete. He needs to be able to snatch that single, pull him away, make him adjust, go to the body lock maybe if he can. If not, go to switch, drop down to the double, suck his legs out. If he can't do that, go back up to the body lock. Go back up to the, the over-under and start doing some dirty boxing in that position. He needs to make Stipe work, work at every turn. Because let's not forget, Stipe is what, 37, 38 himself? 37. He's not young. So it goes both ways. I know DC's older, DC's smaller, DC has the pedigree of wrestling, but there's just, you don't want to bear that burden of having Stipe on top of you, okay? And that's that's the biggest thing right there. So you, he needs to make sure that if, if anyone's pressing his offense, it's DC against Stipe against the fence. If not, he needs to get out and away. He cannot afford to hang, cannot afford to let Stipe hang on him there. That's just, it's not a remedy for a good fight. Um, I mean, outside of that, I, I, I like all the, the things that you touched on, I love. I think exactly what you're saying. He needs, also what I like about Stipe is that he throws punches and combinations. He'll throw the body, he'll come back up with a two-punch combination to the head. DC tends to throw one and twos, sometimes maybe threes, but he doesn't get into those big exchanges, which is smart on his part. Because you don't want to get into an exchange with somebody who's a little bit better boxer than you. And Stipe is the better boxer. You know, um, DC can throw the hands. He's got power we've seen in the first fight. And he rocks Stipe also in the second fight. But this is yep. not a boxing fight. This is an MMA fight. If he makes it an MMA fight, he's got more. I think he's got more tools in the bag than Stipe does when it comes to that. With the wrestling, with the boxing, with the kicking. with I think he puts he can put it together better if he mixes it all up. If he doesn't, it's gonna it, it can be a long night for him, for DC. The other advantage that DC has going for him is where the fight is being fought. Yeah, I'm just just gonna say it straight out. In the apex, that's a 25 foot cage that takes away a lot of square footage for Stipe to utilize footwork and to keep DC because because DC is going to try to march him down. He's gonna DC knows I don't want to fight at range here. He knows that if I'm in tight. Stipe is going to have a hard time hurting me, and I can hurt him. The knees inside, those are important for both guys. But if any time that they're, you know, they're belly to belly, I'm telling you, that's Daniel Cormier winning it. And that 25-foot cage compared to the 30-foot cage, it makes a difference in this fight. It takes away a lot of range and movement that Stipe would be able to escape in a 30-foot cage, he might not make that corner, and DC might get him up against the cage in the 25. Yeah, here's my only problem with what you just said. That's only effective if you're not tired. Otherwise, you got nowhere to run. <laughs> so when we're talking about him being 42 years old, you know, pushing into the 43, and you're tired and you got nowhere to run, that doesn't help. 
So the smaller cage may work for him, yeah, in the earlier rounds. But if he gets tired in the fourth and fifth like he did last time in the fourth, it will not work for him. No, it'll work against you then. Yeah, so the, there, there's <laughs> there, there's two sides to, to that coin. So I think I think he's ready. I think there's no doubt he's ready. I mean, this is it, man. This is his last fight. I mean, I've texted him a couple times this week, and he's talked about it. He's like, man, let's fucking go. He's ready for it. So I'm excited for him. I'm excited for him to... To utilize all of his tools, um, you know, in conversation with him, uh, we had talked about, you know, he did plan on, you know, letting his hands go a little bit less, but also setting that up for some takedowns, not forcing his his takedowns like we talked about. Like, hey, if I pull it and it's there, go for it. If I pull it and I feel like I have to work double time for it, come back up to the Let body lock, yeah. you know, um, his collar tie, I, we're not going to be able to shake that. But I, I did notice in the first fight. And a little bit in the second, he had more success when he had the underhook and put his forehead and chin underneath Stipe and press him to the fence. He didn't have as much success outside of the knockout in the first round when he went from the collar tie to the turn and then the, the, the right punch. Outside of that, he didn't have a whole lot of success with that position as much as he did as much as he did in the first that, that he used it so many times. He's just not having the success that I that you would like to see. It puts him in jeopardizing positions. He did that a couple times in the first fight and got taken down. And I know it was an early fight, an early an early uh, knockout in the first fight. But he got taken down off of that position. So he went for the collar tie against the fence. Stipe dipped out the back and just basically took him down from that position. That's not where you want. You don't want a big guy like that on top of you ever. Can't have. Yeah, he can't, can't have, have that. So he's got to make sure that he's focusing on on not not losing those easy takedowns and may having to work double time on it, but also making Stipe work more in those positions where he's the one doing the wrestling. So if he can do that, you talked about, I thought the calf kicks were very important. Um, he's got to go combination to the calf kick, and then he's got to go cabinet, uh, calf kick to the combinations. He's got to break his balance with that inside leg kick or outside leg kick, and then go combination. To just touch him, you know, just touch, touch. Makes Stipe feel like he's a step behind everything he does. And I know we talk about him marching him down. I'm not a big fan of that. I'm not either, I'm but not he's going to do it. Yeah, I know. I'm not a big fan of him just walking forward, making him work. We've seen, even though we've seen Stipe get clipped and we've seen him get, in, you know, in trouble in the first fight as well as in the second fight, it's just not a remedy in a five-round fight unless you get him out of there. It's... It, Sure, there's a chance you can get him out of there, but if you don't get him out of there, and being at 42, you don't recover as fast. That's just what it is. And I'd like to see him pick and choose the moments he decides to dictate the pace. He's got to do it in small bursts. Okay, I'm going to walk you down because I landed a good combination. This is my moment. Go, go, go. Okay, if it's not working out, don't force it and keep doing it. Sometimes step back and get your breath. Sometimes enjoy the moment of, okay, I'm winning this round. Let's just get this round in the bag. And I know maybe that sounds like a boring solution, you know, like a boring fight. But when you know you're up, when you know you're up, let's just say you sat him down one time or I've rocked him once or two times, you know, where his legs got staggered. There's no reason for me to keep chasing after if I couldn't get him out of there. Don't don't keep walking him down. Just okay, okay, I got this. Just I got the round in the bag. If the opportunity presents itself, let it present itself. Don't go chasing it and make yourself tired. So that one minute break turns into feeling like 10 seconds, you know, and you come out in the fourth round. That's, I feel like that's kind of what happened in the, in the second fight. He had some success in that, in that third, second and third round. And in that fourth round, he was already spent. 
you know, and then it just, yeah. it was that, it was the position of he had nothing else left in the tank to defend after he got hit with some good body shots. One, one of the things that DC needs to take from Stipe, and one of the things that I really like about the way Stipe goes after his opponents, Stipe never tries to load up on anything. Yeah. He just tries to touch you, and he keeps touching you, touching you. He knows it's going to break you down. And Cormier needs, if he's going to do things right, not burn energy to the point where now he's at a deficit as the round ends and he's just getting back to normal. And so you will give him one minute. One minute's not enough in a, in a five-minute round. So if you're DC, you need to just tell yourself, I just want to get in and I want to keep touching him. I want him to have to deal. And, and DC was able to do that in that first and second round of the second fight. He did it really well. And he was just touching him. And then he got, even in the third round, was touching him still, but that needs to be both guys' aspects. Don't worry about going for that big punch. The knockout will come yeah. based upon the volume. Don't go after the big punch. Go after the volume. Keep making this person frustrated with what is occurring. Make them have to deal with having a punch in the middle of their face. You know, it seems like every you know five ten seconds they're getting they're getting smacked back. You do that. You're going to make it to where then they start to extend. They start to make the mistake and the opening will come. Yeah, exactly. I think exactly. That, that goes for almost every fighter though. Like you don't want to yeah. force, you don't want to force the, um, the knockout. You don't want to go looking for it. It'll happen and present itself on its own when the fight develops in front of you. Um, all the things aside, like both fighters or DC being a little bit older, Stipe being a little bit younger, but both of them are older. Well, I mean, 37 years old is, there's no spring chicken. But for heavyweights, 37 yeah. is a great age. It's a great age. 35, right up to 39, 40. That's your, that's your prime as a heavyweight. You think so? I don't know why it seems. Yeah, I just don't know why. I mean, obviously, there's the guys that you can look at and say, well, you know, this is different here. But, you know, heavyweights tend to be able to continue on because they don't work at the same time pace and speed and with all the variety of techniques mm -hmm. that lighter weight guys tend to bring into the game. You know, the heavyweights stick with certain things. And as an older guy, you can do it. You know, the one thing that I want to say off of this fight is, you know what? I love both guys. Yeah. I love DC. He's a fantastic human being. He's a great guy. And he has done just an incredible, you know, amount of work as an MMA fighter. And then just, also building upon that with his, you know, commentating and everything. He's, he's helped, you know, elevate the game and he deserves everything good that comes his way. Stipe, same thing. You know, you talk about freaking blue collar, just great guy sticks with the, you know, he's, he's loyal to his people. He's a hard worker. He's everything that you want someone to be, you know? And so whoever wins, I'm happy. I, I feel bad for the other guy. You know, if it's if DC goes out on a loss to me, so what? Man, you yeah. are a multi-division champion. Doesn't matter. If Stipe goes out and loses this and, and DC gets it, hey, it's okay. You've been a fantastic champion and you still have a chance to get that belt back again in the future. Mm -hmm. So just both go out, do the best you can do, and may the best man win. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Yeah, it really just comes down to both guys are you know, have set themselves apart from all the other heavyweights. I know Ngano is just lurking in the background waiting. That's a big lurk. Yeah, but but the <laughs> but the rest of them, the rest of them are far behind. 
You know, yeah. I mean, you got Volkov, right you got Derek Lewis, you've got, you know, uh, Bagoy, you've got other guys that are in that that talk, but they've got a ways to go before they get to Ngannou, you know, and then Ngannou is still a step behind, you know, DC and Stipe. So, and I'm not saying that Ngannou can't beat either one of those guys, but I'm just saying that he hasn't been able to get through that just yet. And Stipe has been has shown that, you know, he can take Ngannou's shots and that he can keep coming and he can get the win. I, I'm excited to see that fight again. Uh, I think that they both have their hands full this weekend coming up. Uh, I, you know, obviously I just, I want both guys to come out of there safe, you know, healthy yep. and okay. Yep. That's really yep. what it comes down to. The bottom line is, is both guys. Put on a great show. Both guys are good athletes. Both of them are um, amazing competitors, you know, and that's really what it comes down to. I'm excited to see both guys fight. I'm excited to see the fight. Obviously I want DC to win because, you know, he's my boy, but that's, that's, okay. just, that's how it goes. It's so, all right. You're being honest about it. I hate yeah. when guys go. Oh, I don't really care. No, you care. Stop. Yeah. You're, you're yeah, being yeah. disingenuous. Yeah. It's all good. All right. Uh, do you want to do Q&A first? Or you want to hit these comments real quick? Oh, whatever you would like. I'm all, I'm all for it. Uh, you know, since we talked about Stipe and DC, let's do the comment section real quick. I'm going to scroll through here. Okay. The reason why I want right. to hit the comment section is because, um, you know, a lot of the comments that were digging at me for... But I want to have this as a little se a segment, though. I want to have this as like a quick little, we'll take one positive, one negative one, you know, and go from there. But realistically, it just comes down to, um, it comes down to like, look, there's reasons why, like there's, there's reasons why we talk about certain stuff. And then I think the fans maybe get it wrong or people get it wrong. But I also want you guys to understand, sometimes we read the comments, sometimes we don't. But this is a good reason for us to be more involved, fan interaction, and, and go from there. John, what do you got? You got something? Well, see, yeah, since you were talking about Stipe, I'm going to bring up one. It was from, uh, oh, my God, let me see if I can even read mine. Jack Cracker okay. gave us a comment of, when the best heavyweight in your sport has a full-time job, it makes your sport look amateurish at best. Mm -hmm. Dana White knows this. Well, you, you can look at it that way, but it's bullshit. Just telling you straight out. Yeah. Everything in life is about doing what you have a passion for. And I think Stipe has a passion for more than one thing. Same as Daniel Cormier has a passion for more than one thing. Daniel Cormier is a high school wrestling coach who doesn't get paid. Yeah. Doesn't get paid for it. That's a lot of time. It's a lot of time going to practice. It's a lot of time going to tournaments. And he's not getting paid. So that's pretty much an amateur coach. And it's beautiful. It's absolutely fantastic that he gives his time to help other young people, both, both boys and girls, learn from someone who is going to give these kids things in life that they could get from nobody else in that same fashion. A guy that was a world champion, a guy that was an Olympian, a guy that was an MMA world champion. I mean, you look at what you're saying. Stipe Miocic has a passion. For what he does in Cleveland. Being a firefighter means a lot to him. And the fact that he doesn't have to give that up and he can still be a world-class professional athlete and fight is just fucking, it's a cherry on top. It's a bonus, man. And to sit there and say it's amateurish, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I don't agree with you. I think you're wrong. You can have your opinion, but pretty amateurish if you look and say, my opinion means that this person is not one of the best in the world because 
he's obviously proven he is. Yeah, yeah. Stipe being able to do two things is incredible. DC does a ton of other things. He does wrestling. He does all the an, an, uh, analyst work. You have to remember when yeah, he do, gets paid for that. So I'm not even going with that. I know, but what happens is, <laughs> and that's part of the sport that takes away from being though the the top echelon of of fighters. Yeah. It, people don't understand yeah. how much time and work and energy goes into actually doing the research on all the fighters, knowing their records, knowing their gyms, knowing their coaches. You know, knowing who their training partners are where they come from, their backstory. There's a lot of work that goes into it, especially like when you're when there's a fight card that has 20 fights on it. That's 44 fight, that's 40 fighters on there that you have to you're going to have to remember the the details about them, you know? And so there's a lot that goes into this um but the fact is is like you said with the Gilroy thing where he's their Gilroy wrestling coach. They're one of the best high school wrestling co- uh teams in the state of California, not yep. just in the Bay Area. Which is a great wrestling state. Yeah, which is a great wrestling state, but he's also one of the best uh, high schools in the whole state. So he. We're talking about a high school that doesn't get kids from other areas and is a very small community. Exactly. Exactly. It's a very, very small community. (laughs) So, and Steve Bay being a firefighter and giving his time as much as he can, you know, to helping others, you know, I pat my, I pat him on the back for that, man. You, you gotta, it's one of those it's it's very selfless you know and as much as as much as you guys as much as i was digging into him last week about about um you know him not really being liked it had nothing to do with his fighting had nothing to do with what he (laughs) did had nothing to do with what he did outside it had to do with certain stuff you know with and i'll get into that in a little bit so yeah i agree all right um i'm gonna start this one off with um it says, because I always like to use the saying. And so Fancy Crawdad, so the Fancy Crawdad, he wrote a comment. He said, keep winning didn't work for Mighty Mouse. Because remember how I say winning solves everything. <laughs> and he says, keep winning didn't work for Mighty Mouse. But you have to remember, Mighty Mouse lost his last fight. So yep. if he would have kept winning, it would have solved it. <laughs> he would have still been with the UFC, probably would have still been locked down. The bottom line is, is that his coach, Matt Hume, it works for one FC. The yeah. deal made sense for them to go for rich. Franklin works for one FC that he used to train with Matt Hume. He's good friends with the mighty mouse. It made sense for them to take him over there because all of his roots are the people that he works with and trains with and everything. They are over there and they work for one FC. So the transition was there. It, it made sense for the UFC to do the deal. And it made sense. It made sense for one FC to do the deal. Um, had he won, they would have had, I think they would have had a harder time having to get rid of him or let him go because it's hard to say you have all the best fighters knowing that he's still winning. That doesn't they were mean that, never going to let him go if he was holding on to that belt. That's the other thing. That, that was, was not going to happen. That was the other thing. Had he won, it would have solved everything in terms of him staying in the UFC. But you guys have to remember not everybody wants to be in the UFC. That's the thing. You know, and well, es- especially after you have been there for as long as Mighty Mouse has been there. They're like, okay, look, I'm done. I'm over this. I'm done. Like, I, I want to just go somewhere and be happy and make money and and just fight and, and not to worry about all the other shit that goes along with being part of the UFC. I know it's a dream for all, all, some of the people in the comment section to, you know, That's okay. say they were a fighter, to say that they were in the UFC. I get it. I know. I hear you guys at the bar sometime. Okay. Um, <laughs> the bottom line, the bottom line is, is not if some people have been there and done that and they want to move on. And I think it was best. I think it was really best for Mighty Mouse 
to have lost that fight and to move on. I would love to see the fight between Cejudo and Mighty Mouse happen again. It will not happen. But the fact, the simple fact of the matter is, is had he won that fight, like John said, they would have never have let him go had he won that fight. Because you want to know why? Because winning solves everything. I just want to let you know. You <laughs> just proved, had to get that last yeah, bit in you, there. You proved my point. What else you got, John? <laughs> I love that. You know, one of the, let me make a comment. On this. And I guess it's the truth. And I'm going to get bashed because, you know, oh, you're so biased against the UFC. I am as unbiased as you can be about the UFC. I say what's good. And if I don't, if I think, in my opinion, they do something bad, I'll say, well, I don't agree with that. But it has nothing to do with whether I like the UFC. I love the UFC. So, you know, I think the UFC is vital to the sport of MMA. I'm not an idiot. Okay. I, I know these things. But it is exactly like you're saying you can have people that have what other people think are the greatest jobs in the world. But those people are miserable with where they're at. Now, it's based upon a lot of factors. But, you know, what is perfect for one person isn't perfect for the next. And, and sometimes, even as the promotion, you can't make the person happy. It's just never going to happen. And so, you know, if someone is you know watching our show and they think that, you know, I would love to be in the UFC, that is awesome. And if you have that as your dream, I'm telling you, write that down as your goal. Now start taking steps into making it a reality. I can name off a ton of people that have done those exact things and have attained that goal, but don't think that your goal is the same goal that's going to make another person happy. It's not. We're individuals. Yeah. All right, so then my next one is I, we, we go with a negative and a positive. James Brown, I don't know who you are, but James Brown, you are a good man, and obviously – you are a member of Mensa because you made the statement best MMA show on YouTube. Thank you, gentlemen. No, thank you, James Brown. You are absolutely correct. 100%. I, that was all I have to say. <laughs> um, we, yeah, I'm, it's, you know what? I'm, it's hard for me to find a positive. <laughs> oh, there's a ton of them, man. I'm um, very happy because I don't look at the comments. My wife looks at the oh, comments geez. every now and she'll tell me. So. It says, okay, so Disco Shrew, I love this show and I love these debates. That That's really what you guys got to oh, remember. Oh boy. The whole point of this show is John coming from the beginning parts of the UFC has history and knowledge that I couldn't even begin to fathom because I wasn't around in that beginning portion of when the sport started. And when John and I sat down, I actually, I had trapped him in the corner and I said, Hey, I want to talk to you about doing a show with me. <laughs> it was, it was like, Hey, like you bring something to, to this, um, that most people don't. And so I wanted to, I wanted to, um, wanted to make sure that, wanted to make sure that all the other fans understood that I wanted to get dynamics from both people, from a fighter. I'm a former world champion. I'm a fighter. You being basically the number one ref, you know, that, that like you said, helped write the rules, you know, and, uh, you know, and did all the, and did all the research and the work and fought on the, on the battle lines with the Fertitas and everyone to get this sport legitimized across the world. And people need to, people need to understand like your contribution to um, the sport itself and I want and that's what I'm here to try to help do as well as you know um, give you a fighter's perspective uh, 
you know, what fighters are going through on the backside. John also knows all those things as well of what fighters go through because of the contract negotiations. Cause you know, he's been around for so long. You've dealt, you're good friends with Randy Couture, you're friends with Dan Henderson, friends with all the other guys that have been around the sports since the beginning. Hoist Gracie, you've taught since the very <laughs> beginning, you know, and um, it's good for people to know that backstory knowledge and the things that you bring to the table. Uh, the reason this, all this is, you guys, is a debate. And the debate, it realist, realistically, is like I said, when we when we were talking about Stipe in DC, is I have to be able to say, hey, this is how Stipe wins the fight. That's why when I said, let's play devil's advocate, I will switch you. Because that's all this is. It's a friendly conversation between the two of us. And it's getting you guys at home to understand both sides. And if you can't see both sides, then there's a bunch of political forums you guys can go to. Okay. Because that's not, <laughs> this is, this really is just a fun, interchangeable conversation about, hey, I see how Steep A can win. And I see how um, DC can win. And I see, and John has points of view that come from the history of what he's seen from guys from Randy Couture, from Pedro Hizzo to, you know, all those guys back in the day, Tito Ortiz, and I, and even current guys. But he also understands what they potentially could be going through, you know, during circum, circum, certain circumstances that other fighters have had to deal with that he has the history of. And I can just give you from a, a fighter's point of view on what is what I feel might be best for them on how to deal with it because I probably have gone through a lot of those, whether it's a staff infection, ringworm, or you know your your whatever your girl leaving you during camp or whatever it is. It could be something, you know. But that's there's a lot of things that fighters talk about in or in amongst camps and the people that we've met along the way. So this is just a friendly debate and getting trying to get our fans and everyone to support us to keep hitting that thumbs up in the YouTube comment and hitting the subscribe button and sharing our videos, you know, and, but it's a friendly debate. You guys, this is not this. We're not oh, talking yeah. politics here. This is not about winning and losing. When we yeah. debate and we we're talking about something, this is not about, Oh, I, I won that one. Or you want no. majority of the time I win it's anyways, a, but it's uh, but now, you know, you're lying, <laughs> but it's about conversation and getting people to look at things maybe in a different light than the way that they're looking at it at that present moment. Yeah. doesn't mean you're going to change, but you know, this whole thing, you know, this is because we, Josh and I are making millions of dollars doing yeah. this. I want you to know that. Yeah. That's what I hear. That's the other one. I had a guy saying something about, first off, I shouldn't, my, this is what my wife wanted me to do. Something about 50-year-olds uh, shouldn't be calling people bitches, okay? <laughs> I, I am calling people bitches at times, snitchy bitches, especially, as Josh would know. Yeah. <laughs> That's an inside one. And then also that... um you know, look, we are here to have fun. But if you think that we've made money, no, we've spent a lot of money. Yeah. This, but we actually enjoy doing it because we enjoy giving you guys something. We enjoy talking all the time together. Yeah. Because when we are actually at a show to work, this is all we do is we bullshit about fights. So yeah. it's not it's not really work for us. This is fun. That's why I say follow your passion. This is a passion. It's fun. Well, there you go, guys. That's us hitting the comment section. So we're weighing in on that comment section. Well, um, let's go. We're going to do some Q&A now also. And uh, Podcast Dave is on vacation in San Diego. Must be nice. Must be nice to be Podcast Dave, having all that money to go. But we got his little trusty sidekick, Gian, here with us. So, Gian, talk to us, Goose. All right. So uh, first question is going to come from, uh, it's coming from Magic uh, Sadiq. Uh, who has a more impressive career, Conor McGregor or Henry Triple C Cejudo. Oh. 
that, that's simple. Yeah, to me, it's Henry Cejudo. Henry Cejudo. Yeah, you're Olympic champion, dude. Hello. And, along with two different weight classes, and I will, I will point this out. I know maybe he may not do it, but if he does come back and fight Volkanovski, I give him a good chance of winning that. Oh fight. yes. I give him a good chance, even though he's given up a ton of fucking weight. Yeah, I, but he's I, got a ton of athleticism going in certain directions that cause Volkanovski comes has a wrestling background. It ain't even no fucking close. Nope. And this is wrestling background. It's kind of like, you know, I, I talk about this with guys all the time. You know, there's black belts in jujitsu. I'm a black belt in jujitsu. Josh is a black belt in jujitsu. Yeah. And Josh will tell you, oh no, there's guys that are at a different level. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's Henry Cejudo when it comes to the wrestling game compared to Volkanovsky. So then Volkanovsky is going to have to work at keeping it on the feet, trying to knock Cejudo out. Not an easy task because that, that little some bitch can take a shot. He proved that against Marlon Moraes. Yep. He's proved it, you know, multitude of times. He just proved it again. You know, man, Henry Cejudo is one of the most impressive combat sport athletes you will ever find because an Olympic gold medal is just not yeah. an easy thing to get in wrestling. He was some, he was the first one to do it, and I don't even know how many years it was forever. He was the first one to to he was the not the first one ever. He was the first one to do it, and I want to say it was like. I don't know, 50 years? Uh, anyways, for an American. First one to win Olympic gold for an American in a long no, time. No, it was a long time. Not, not, at that weight class. No, we, we hadn't class. had one in a long time. Oh, I'll have no. to get the specifics on it. Oh, we hadn't come had, on. I could, Burroughs won it right after him, but he he won it yeah. earlier in Burroughs, the day. True. I, before oh, Burroughs Kevin, did. Okay, Kevin Jackson won a gold medal. So it had been, that how long was that? 80. So 30 years? I want to say that was 88. 40 years? Seoul Olympics. 30 years? Yeah, so it had been a while. That's yeah. what my point was. It yeah. had been a long True. time. True. Um, look, to me, it's Henry. I mean, not not only just being an Olympic gold medalist. And that's taking nothing away no, from Connor. Not at all. Absolutely nothing not. at all. He's um, phenomenal. But I also look at the guys that that, and I'm not. And this is another thing. I'm not taking anything away from Connor. But I look at the guys that Henry had to beat. The guy that Henry had to beat. He had to beat DJ. And to me, DJ was the was the guy at the time who was the number one guy on the pound for pound list. Had hadn't lost in some amount of years. It was a long, long time, and he just dominated the division. And Henry had lost to him too earlier in his career, and he came back and beat him. Yeah. That to me was impressive. Then he went up and fought for the title there, and had won that title. And I got to tell you, if he goes and fights at 145, and I think I give him a very good, I would say 60, 40 chance of winning that title. It's still close. The size will be a factor. He's faster. He's a way better wrestler. And he can take a shot. I, I that those are things that Volkanovski is normally the guy that can do that. He's normally that guy when he's fighting at one forty five. Now it's going to be Henry being the guy. I don't know if you can make that adjustment in one camp to try to try to adjust to something like that against Henry Cejudo. Yeah. I'm not saying he can't beat him. I'm just saying I, I would lean sixty forty towards Henry beating Volkanovski. Yeah, I I look at when you're you're talking about Henry and and Connor and saying the difference. I mean, very similar as far as they're both double champions. Mm -hmm. Okay. You take a look at who they've competed against and who they beat. And here's where the difference starts to come in a little bit. I give Conor McGregor beating Jose Aldo. That's a big one. Yeah. Because at the time, huge. Aldo had been that champion for a long time, but it's no bigger than DJ beating. 
I mean, I'm sorry, Henry beating DJ. Yeah. Same thing, at least. And the fact that Henry had previously lost to DJ. Trust me, when you lose to someone, you gain something from it because you get an idea of what you're dealing with. But in the back of your mind, all that happened in that fight is still there. Yeah. And, and you think about it. All right. And you're thinking, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take care of these things. But you know, damn, he did that to me before. Mm-hmm. And so there, there's a lot going there. But so I, I, we'll say those are a wash. Aldo is a wash compared to um, DJ. But then you take a look and when Henry goes and beats Marlon Marais, a lot of people thought Marlon Marais is going to walk through Henry. Yeah. They said physically too big, physically too strong. Hits too hard, all those things. Well, Henry comes out on top. Then you take a look at who Henry, you know, beat in his last fight. That's Dominic Cruz. This is the first guy to ever be the bantamweight champion in the UFC. This is the guy that came from the WEC. This is a guy that had only lost to two people. He had lost to Uriah Faber early in his career. Okay, when he got guillotined and didn't didn't understand how to get out of it, and then he lost. Cody Garbrandt in a really good performance, but he had real problems with his feet. Mm-hmm. He's got a plantar fasciitis problem that, you know, he can't have that bounce in his step the same way. And that was after he came back and took the championship from DJ, from TJ Dillashaw. That win, when you watch Henry against Dominic, it was a dominant performance. Yeah. He was tearing Dominic up. Now, not that Dominic wasn't in the fight for some of it, but man, he was breaking him down quickly. And so I just look at everything. You can you can say that Connor beat, you know, Eddie Alvarez and look great. He did. And he's fought some great people. But as a combat sport athlete, I've got to go back to that Olympic gold medal, and that's what separates him. Yep. Next question. Gian. 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 Next question is from uh from uh Coop de Grace. Uh he says Big John, what is wrong with people who think they can beat UFC fighters? My uncle, who is 10, uh, 210 pounds, thinks he can beat DJ. He has no fighting experience at all. <laughs> That's people. Okay, look, I, I will tell you straight out. You know, my my dad, we used to, we used to do a boxing. And then we did, a, there was the police Olympics, and my dad had friends that, that boxed the police Olympics. And, and he would sit there and talk about how hard someone had, you know, when I was a kid, it was great. And then recently he brought, you know, these things back up, you know, he's man, he says, yeah, I wonder how he would do. And I go, are are you fucking kidding me? How he would do? I said, Amanda Nunez would knock his fucking ass out in yeah. the first round. <laughs> I said, this is not, and, and the, the person he's talking about is a 225 pound good yeah. athlete. Is you just don't understand the levels. It was one of the things that I loved about Bully Beatdown, mm. which was a funny show. But if you understood the background and everything that was happening in it, it was great because I, I always say there was three types of people that went on to the Bully Beatdown. There was the guys that really thought that they were tough, you know, and just showed how stupid they were. And then there was the guys who actually trained in fighting and had a friend and their friend said, Hey, I'll, I'll say I'm, I'm the victim. And you know, you be that way we'll split the money. Okay. And so you had that person. And then you had the third person who knew they weren't tough and just figured out I, I can get on TV <laughs> and 
But it was always that number one, the guys that really thought that they were tougher. I've been in this many street fights. I don't give a flying fuck how many street fights you have. Yeah. Usually when you're in a street fight, you're fighting someone else that doesn't know how to fight. And they're usually drunk. There is a huge, unbelievable distance. It's like to say that you can go and step onto a football field for one play and survive. Not if the person across from you wants to rip your head off. They are that much better. They're that much faster, that much stronger, that much more skilled at every aspect. You have no idea how good a true professional fighter is. Now, any, and I've said this in the past. I said it, you know, when you know, on your show when you had Sammy and the Punk at the time. Mm -hmm. Not all professional fighters are professional. It's the one sport that I'll say that's just not. It's not true. As far as there, you can get a license from an athletic commission based upon some dummy saying, yeah, he trains with me and, and writing, you know, signing off yeah. on it. And then a medical thing, you can get that license and then you can go and get your ass handed to you and go, I'm not going to, I'm not a professional fighter, but you know, you can get that license, but the guys that, you know, you're seeing that are signed with the LFA guys that are signed with one FC guys that are signed with the PFL Bellator, the UFC people. They're fucking good. Yeah. And they will rip your fucking head off at any time they wanted. Yeah. If you have, have no training and no fighting experience, simply put, you're fucked. Yeah. Let's not even get into the, I, I, I'm going to take this a step further. I won't even talk about professional athletes. I will talk about guys that have come in off the street and I, in my jujitsu class and they have come in, no, no. And they have yeah. come in and they've started taking jujitsu and they've only been there for like four or five months. Like me, you know, they're not even, they don't even have a, a, a stripe on their white belt yeah. yet. They're just getting fucking smashed every single day. And they're like, man, I want to quit. I feel like I'm not getting any better. This sucks. And then guess what? A new the guy, new guy comes in. in <laughs> and all of a sudden they're like black belt level. Smashing them. They're yeah, just, yeah, just smashing them. And so that's the difference between someone who has just trained only three or four months and they, a new guy comes in off the street. And I know it's different for different scenarios, but I got to tell you this. I've had a guy come in. He trained, he trained with me for six months, still a white belt. He just got his first stripe on his white belt six months in. He's learned all the basics, basically, like, you know, hip escape, you know, how to get to mount, how to escape side control. That's basic stuff. A kid that was wrestling in college, his first year in college, comes in, same exact size. Actually, the wrestler was a little tiny bit bigger just got mopped. I taught all I taught this kid for six months was just basic knee in the middle, like pass guard, get to the front headlock position, arm in guillotine, guillotine, <laughs> like basic, basic stuff that he had picked up. That's it. This, this, this wrestler, kid, will. he was just tapping at will. I thought he had carpal tunnel by the time he left. <laughs> it was, I swear it was, it was nonstop, nonstop. And the kid that, my student was like, man, he's like, I didn't realize that I had learned anything. I'm like, yeah, you're making, you were making me feel like a bad coach up until today, but dominant, dominant performance. That's how much people do not know. When you see them walking around on the street, you see them at the bar yelling at the TV. I'll knock that bum out. They don't know no, anything. Won't. They don't know anything. Okay. So it doesn't matter how big they are. doesn't matter. And, and Hoist Gracie proved that in UFC one. Size does not matter as long as you use the technique, especially against people in the bar. 
Okay, size matters when you're talking about like if I was to fight DC. Well, DC is good. Yeah, skill I, level. Yeah, skill level wise, size. Then it's hard to make up that that yes that type of thing. It, that's when it matters. But if I'm if if I take my little scrawny ass into a bar and I'm running to someone like you know steep a size, I'm gonna fuck that guy up. It doesn't even make it. It will not go more than probably a minute couple little cats. Yeah, I mean that's Come on. You know, I mean I'm hoping he trips Come and falls. <laughs> I'm hoping he trips and falls. But you know what I mean? Seconds is a long time. It is. It really is. I mean, in the average street fight I want to say lasts under a minute. You know? So like when you're talking in terms of like these guys like these guys are so good. And I had to break it down that way with the student and then somebody else that came in. That's only 6 months of training. Imagine I've been training for 18 years. DC's been training for like 12, 13. Like I've been training longer than that, you know, but I've been fighting in the UFC. I was fighting in the UFC strike force for 18 straight years. You know what I mean? Like 2000. So you're talking the best guys in the world. There's no way those guys stand a chance. No way. What you got? What you got, Gian? All right. Next question is for Josh. Uh, from Next question is from a Phil, Phil of Up. Why does Josh dislike Michael Chandler? <laughs> <laughs> tell him, Josh. Tell him. Come on. All right. Um, Either you tell it or I'll tell it. No. Nah. And I'll fuck it up. <laughs> Look, I, I don't I don't have a dislike. I think, I think he's, he's let me say this. Josh, you have a very healthy respect yes. for Michael Chandler as a fighter. Yes. Josh doesn't have a healthy respect for Michael Chandler as a person based upon an incident that occurred yeah. between Josh and Michael. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean that that's, re- that's really where I want to leave it at. I don't want to really get into it. You know, he he is he's not under contract with Bellator anymore, but he may potentially resign. I want to keep it as peaceful and as respectful as possible. Um the bottom line is is like we you, you you can go through the guys that he's fought and they have a they have a dislike for him. I never fought him. I was supposed to fight fight him twice. As a, as an athlete, I've got a ton of respect for him. Uh I think as a fighter, I've got a ton of respect for him. I think he he's phenomenal. I think he's a phenomenal fighter. I think he's a phenomenal athlete. Um, Benson talked about it. Other guys, Brent Primus has talked about it. You know, Patricky Pitbull has talked about it. There's just something about him that they they don't they don't like. It's it doesn't come across as being authentic, and so that that's their issue with you know. And, and I've had similar experiences with him, but that doesn't mean that I can't talk highly of him as an athlete and do my job. My job is to make sure that. Um, you know, we're promoting him as a fighter and as an athlete. I'm not promoting him as a, as a, his person. I, I'm not promoting him, you know, outside of the cage. I'm promoting him as a fighter and an athlete inside the cage. And so I can do that as a professional. And so my dislike comes from the two fights we were supposed to fight. And um, I got injured one time and he, I want to say he didn't take the fight one time because it wasn't enough time to train. So that fight had not, had not come to fruition. And there was a lot of talk and banter back and forth. But it got it got to the point where uh, it, it just got out of hand, you know, um, you know, and then there was an alter, not altercation, but there was an incident between the two of us that I just a thought was scuffle. very dis, disingenuous on his part. And that's just me, man. Like, I, I, you know, I try to keep it as professional as possible. That's really what it comes down to. I, I will say this, you know, and Josh is exactly right in that a lot of fighters, they dislike Mike. I will tell you. In being able to work with him at times, being in the cage with him, he is a super athlete. He is yeah. a super competitive guy who I've enjoyed every minute that I was able to stay, you know, be around him and 
talk with him and and be in the cage. It was an honor being in the cage with him because he is an elite fighter. He is good and he can fight with anybody. But I, it's it's so funny that a lot of fighters have this feeling about him. But every time, and I, this is one thing I will say, the only time that I've ever seen Michael kind of disrespective towards another fighter was Benson Henderson. Yeah. After their first fight, he kind of shoved him away. But I think there was something else involved with that. And it was just in the moment. But, you know, even when, uh, you know, a guy that Michael had problems with in Patricio who knocked him out, you, you listen to Michael and he said, hey, man, I got to give him props, man. You know, he got me on that one. He's been respectful to those guys after the fights and everything. So wherever he goes, Michael Chandler is going to be a outstanding competitor. He'll be an outstanding addition. If he stays at Bellator, it's great to keep him. If he goes to the UFC, there's so many guys there that you can put him against that you can go. That would be a great fight, interesting fight. And in most of them, I'm going to tell you, I would tell, I would take Michael Chandler. He is that good. You know, there's, there's, there are guys there that I go at. That's one that I think he'll have problems with, but you know, everything's about the matchup. And you know, when, if, if he does go to the UFC, I guarantee this, don't think that they're going to put him against Cowboy Cerrone. That no. ain't going to happen. No, because they know what will happen in that fight. They're yeah. going to put him against someone that has a good style to beat what Michael does. Of course, his very first fight. If it, and I think a lot a of one. I think a lot of it is based on to what he gets paid. That's really what it's going to come down to. If you sure. want a lot of money, which he's requesting a lot of money, if he wants a ton of money, then you know they're going to sign him to a short term deal, say four fights, and they're going to say, "Hey, you want a long term? This you we're going to we're going to pay you this much, but for a short deal." But you're gonna fight the fucking lions and who's who, yeah. and that that really comes down to him banking on himself. But the, but that's what he did in his fight against Benson. Yeah, and that's what I give him credit for. Yep, because you know a fight against Benson Henderson in your last fight on your contract. Yeah, it's you're betting on your you're gambling. It is you're gambling on that one. That's a tough one. It is, but he always knew. Here's the thing: is he always knew that that there'd be a home for him. He's got a name. He's a former champion of Bellator. He's got a name. And that he could go to one. One will take him to because of the Eddie, I think, connection, as well as they're looking for good top guys to fight sure. over there in that weight class to build on to the Eddie signing. And uh, they've got good guys also. You know, you saw it with Foy Long. You saw it with Timothy Nasukin. You've Foy seen Long it with the guys. Good. He's really good. You've yeah. seen it with those guys. And so he'd be a good addition over there as well. PFL, I mean, they've got tough, tough guys as well in that weight class. I want to say Chris, what, Chris Wade. Yep, Chris Wade. So Chris Wade's uh, there. Um, there's a tough, used to be tough. In the UFC. Yeah, yeah. Good Chris, Wade, Chris Wade's there at 155. There's a tough, tough Russian guy that's there at 155. Phenomenal fighters in that. But that's also a chance that every time they have a show, every time they have a a um, tournament, tournament of winning a million dollars plus getting paid on top of your and that I feel like he'd have a that's really a good, nice thing to go to. He'd have a very good opportunity of winning money every time. I think that's a big reason why Lance Palmer does not want to leave is because he's like, why I've won it the last two times in a row. Have we not talked to Lance Palmer about that? Yes. Said, hey, what is it about your bank account or your ego? That's really what it comes and he down. He said to. bank account. He goes about bank account. And good. now he's got like, this 15, is what you do. Now he's got like 15 cars in an eight car garage. I good. swear to God. It's good for him. It's, it's, Love it's it. amazing. I'm like, God, man, you live in the good life right now. <laughs> But you know what I mean? So it re that's really what it comes down. If he decides to go to the UFC, it depends on what he gets paid. If he decides to get paid what all the other fighters there are getting paid, they may try to, they may try to build him a little bit. Not build him, but they may try to... They would give him easier they'd fights. They'd give him easier fights. If he wants to get paid what he's talking about, he wants to get paid, 
He's going to go right up into those top guys of who he's going to fight. Murderer's Row. Yeah, and it's going to be Murderer's Row. It's going to be those top, you know, seven, eight guys. And they're not going to be doing him any favors at all. Which, <laughs> you know, if you want to get paid that, you don't, you don't deserve favors. And that's really what that's it comes it. down to. That's it. You get paid for the value you bring to that job. You don't get paid by the hour. Like, if you want to get paid by that, that amount of money, you got to start fighting those biz guys. So, uh, wherever he goes... Despite how I feel about him, I wish him the luck. I wish him luck in everything he does. You know, that's just that's just how I am. Like, in t- he he doesn't affect my life in any other way. You know, and that's the other thing is I can't. I don't need to have ill will towards somebody. I just I just choose to keep my feelings the way I feel about him to myself. You know, I've talked to John about it, and you know, and that's it. Like, just keep it to myself, man. Otherwise, that's it. All right, next question, Gian. All right, next question is from uh, Prakash Sudarshan. Big John, what was going through your mind during Rory versus uh, Robbie's second fight? The fight was brutal, and it seemed to take a toll on the fighters. Did it impact you in a way? Oh, what was going through my mind? Truthfully, what was going through my mind as the fight was progressing was the sustainable damage that Rory McDonald was being inflicted upon him as far as people not seeing the damage, but, but up close seeing it. And understanding what it was doing, you know, we've talked about it before, the aspiration of blood, not the drinking of blood because he had a broken nose, but the aspiration, the aspirating of little blood particles as he's breathing heavily, going not into his stomach, but going into his lungs and starting to coat his lungs with blood so that the the oxygen transfer becomes less and less as the fight goes on, almost to the point where you know, he, you can get to the point you're starting to basically drown. He's not going to drown if he's not having an output of energy. But when you're fighting, obviously, there's a huge output of energy and there is a need for that oxygen transfer. And I was really worried about watching him. I, I can tell you that as I was doing that fight, I watched Robbie Lawler in certain moments when Rory would hurt him at times. I would look towards Robbie, but most of that fight. I was focused on Rory McDonald, making sure that he was doing the right things for me to allow him to stay in the fight, and that he was being able to compensate for some of the problems that he was having. And you could see those problems. If I watched the fight with you, I would point them out to you. And, uh, you know, that was, uh, it was a great fight, you know, and Robbie sustained some damage, but all of Robbie's damage was what we call superficial damage. You know, cut to the lip that went through his lip, a big cut on top of that, superficial. It's stitches and it's no big thing. People get like squeamish about cuts. Cuts are nothing. It's all the internal things that are happening. And Rory had a lot of those. You know, he was hit by some body shots that were big. His mouth was cut open in a couple of places where he was bleeding inside his mouth. The nose was broken, so he can't breathe out of the nose. So many little things that add up to big problems. That was that was what I was thinking about, and that's what I was dealing with in that fight. Rory is the typical guy that the people at the bar will say they can beat up. <laughs> exactly. And then they realize that he will fuck you up. And not only oh. fuck you up, but he'll probably do it with a smile on his face. And wearing glasses. And wearing he is <laughs> he is the guy that is just way too tough for his own good. Yes. Uh, you look at the Rory, you look at the uh Robbie fights. You look at um, his Carlos Condit fight where he was dominant until the very end. He didn't want to quit. The ref stopped it. 
then you also look at uh, the, Lima, the Lima fight, the very first Both one. Them. Both of them. But Both I, of them. the first one was just nasty, intense because of the leg kicks, the calf kicks. Just too tough for his own good. And when, and when you talk about that fight, Josh, this is what people need to realize. You look at the damage to his leg. Okay, that, that wasn't temporary damage. No. That is permanent damage. He's to this day, that yep. muscle is torn off of the bone. And it reattached, but it didn't reattach in its normal place. And the only way that he can make it normal is to have surgery that cuts open the entire front of his leg. And he's not going to be able to kick with it anymore. And he definitely won't be able to take any type of, you know, damage through a kick with it. So he's let it go. You know, these are the things that sometimes permanently there are little pieces of you that stay in that cage. Sometimes there's big pieces of you that stay in the cage that most people just don't see or understand. Yeah, I can give you guys an example from my personal experience is I have cauliflower inside my nose. And so most people talk about deviated septums. Well, I have a cauliflower in the inside of my nose. And Scar so, tissue. So I cannot basically, like breathing is like breathing through a straw on the right side of my nose. And then I've got a deviated septum on the left side. So it kind of pushes into one side because of the cauliflower. So I have a harder time breathing. So if you look at some of my last, like sort towards the end of my career, if I look like I was, I always sometimes would take a step back and take a deep breath is because I needed to get that in. And I didn't have that in my earlier part of my career. There's little things that you develop throughout your career. Um, I have something going on with my elbow, like my left elbow, the nerve has moved. And like, you know where you get a funny bone? That nerve is now exposed. So if I I can't put my elbow down on the kitchen table. Put it on, put it on a thing and it's like, ah. Yeah, I can't I can't even put my elbow down on a kitchen table or like, you know, or or put my arm on a on a hard armrest because it sends a sharp pain down into my hand. So those are things that I dealt with for the last, you know, 8 years, 7 8 years of my career because I could I was afraid to take kicks on that side because if you kicked me and you hit that, my hand would turn on fire to the point of where I wanted to rip the glove off. There's just little tiny injuries. And now that I'm done fighting, I can go ahead and expose this. My left, my left foot, I broke my, I broke my ankle three times leading up to the second Gilbert Melendez fight. And I had a plate put in with nine screws. Well, the plate, every time you, if you kick or if I check or if I kick your, your body and you block it and it hits the elbow, it sends a sharp pain down my leg to the point where I can't even put my foot down. And so, and also if you attack that ankle lock position, if you attack an ankle lock on that side, I have to tap automatically because my, there's no flex in my ankle whatsoever because of the plate. So there's no, there's little things that you, I, if you are like, Hey, hockey didn't kick as much in the second Gilbert fight. Cause I couldn't, like I couldn't kick the body because if he blocked and it hit the elbow, I, I could have potentially broken my leg again, or it would have just sent so much pain up my leg. I wouldn't have been able to kick the rest of the fight. I would have been hampered the rest of the fight. So there's reasons why these fighters don't do things that they used to do in past fights or adjustments that they've had to make in the fighting style that they had before that was successful, but because of injury, they're not able to do anymore. You know, so there's, there's a lot of things, man. I could go on and on about my wrist and my neck and all this other shit, but you Let's understand compare next. Yeah, <laughs> but you understand <laughs> where I'm going with, but to touch on Rory, that's the same thing with Rory now. Whoever fights him is going to know, like, if all I got to do is kick him three or four times in the calf. So he's, he's got to be careful. Like he's got to be careful dealing with guys that are really good kickers. So next one. Next one is from uh, Michael Zopalero. 
Hey John and Josh, I was wondering if you think cross promotional fights have a chance of happening, especially say champion versus champion. I was wondering if you had any influence at all, John, to make this happen. Uh, having historically uh, close sides with the UFC and current close sides with Bellator. Cheers, lads, and keep the keep up the great work. Great question, and I have zero power. <laughs> great, zero big goose eggs. No, not at all. It, you can take a look and pr cross promotional takes a lot from the promoter themselves because in many cases, promoters are going to only look and say, I can only lose. This is not going to be good for me. Bellator and Ryzen went and did it in December and people can look at that and go, well, you know, it, it worked out well. And it did if you're Bellator. And you can say that it, it even worked out for Ryzen to a point, but you know they lost a majority of the matches. And I don't think it makes them look bad. I, I actually make it think, I think it makes them look good. But there's going to be people that are going to argue with me and say, how can it make them look good? You're an idiot. You know, that's stupid. You know, their guy loses. So what does that do for him? Cross-promotional allows people to do multiple things, in my opinion. First off, it energizes your fighters. Yep. It gives them, instead of that normal roster and stable of people that they're always looking at, these are the guys that could be my, all of a sudden it's a new guy and a different guy in a different world, in a different, you know, some, maybe sometimes in a different setting. It could be that now they're fighting in a ring instead of a cage. And it's just that added element that creates a spark in the fighter that gets them super excited, super energized, and creates that really great fight. But you you ha always have to go back and look and say, what does it do for the individual promotion? And, you know, the smaller the promotion, the more it will do for, because if they lose, they're going to say, there's not not a lot that, you know, not a lot coming off of that. It's no, no big thing. They were supposed to lose. They're supposed to lose. Where if you're the bigger promotion, if you're the UFC or even Bellator, and you start losing to that smaller promotion as far as your fighters start losing to them, which I am telling you is absolutely possible. You know, when you're talking about top level talent, it is all over the world. Although people don't realize, you know, we, you know, you can take a look at, just take a look at some of the new talent that's come into the UFC that people have seen lately. You know, Chemayev is the guy that everyone's yeah. looking at. Well, he was fighting somewhere before, and I saw him before, and I said, hey, this guy's going to be good. In fact, we talked about it, Josh. Yeah. I talked about there's the two guys that go by the fucking nickname Wolf. Wolf. I said, and they're both fucking monsters, and yeah. they can compete with anyone, and they're young. And just in time, it's a matter of who gets them and who do they face off, but they're going to be great. And then people see him, and they see him in the UFC, and they go, oh, this guy's great. Well, he was always there. And so those guys sometimes are in the smaller promotions. You look at Yuri, who just fought in the UFC, you know, and beat Volkan. He was fighting in Ryzen. You know, he's a tough dude and yeah. he's good. And now people are seeing he's good. So these guys are out there. So if you're the UFC, they don't want to do cross promotion because it can only in their eyes take their product and bring it down. You know, it does them no good to have a fighter who is not part of their promotion that they cannot market and promote if they win. 
they're going to go back to a different promotion. We don't want that. That's not going to do anything for us. And it only makes our fighters look worse. Yep. They're not going to do that cross promotion. Yeah. Here, I'm hopeful. You know, I'm very hopeful that you one always day, have been hopeful. Of yeah, this. We, I'm, I'm very hopeful yeah. when it comes to this. The reason why I'm hopeful is and I, I broke it down to, to to Rogan, which I wish I would have talked a little bit more in depth about what my idea was. And my idea is, is that you basically do it like once a year. You have one one fight that you know that it will be a title fight from whatever promotions. Let's just say you have the, the champion from one, which would be DJ. I would love to have seen DJ and Henry run it back. Let's just say that's the featured championship fight. But then you have your young up and coming guys that are coming around that you would like to see intermix. So then fighters, then promotions really aren't losing a whole lot by, Hey, this guy's only ranked in the top 10, but he, you know, he hasn't got to that point yet. And like you said, it rejuvenates the fighters. It makes them feel like, Oh shit, this is great. Now, Joe, and they they actually almost have a team aspect feeling it's like i'm fighting for the ufc i gotta prove the ufc is better yep it's always good yeah because then you get the best out of those fighters but not only that but i I looked at it as like the olympics because when i talked to rogan rogan's like yeah i don't think it'll make as much money i said yeah maybe maybe i think the first one would would do well pay-per-view wise the second and third maybe not as well but if you continue to do this it will turn into a like an Olympics, because now you have people that are from all around the world where they're like, they're supporting their group of people. You have a Russian guy from Dagestan fighting an American guy. You've got a Brazilian fighting a Canadian. You've got a, you know, you've got Whaley, like you got Whaley, like from China fighting someone from Australia. I mean, you've got things now. Now you've got all these countries that are tuning in involved. It's not like it was just like where it was. Strikeforce was just American base. You're not just having Americans fight Americans where the rest of the world is like, ah, fuck it, I don't care. No, the sport has grown so much that now if you have, if you, if you strategically plan this as three promotions or four promotions would, then you could say, look, let's have the, you know, you have a Russian, you have a, you know, someone from China, you have someone from Japan, you have someone from Australia, you've got someone from the UK, you've got someone Ireland. Now you've got all these countries fully invested in the fact that that's my team. That's my country. There is no doubt. I feel that it will, it would end up doing better numbers than anything else than any other combat sport. Now, don't get me wrong. These are things that, that it's going to take time. If yeah. you, if you did it in like, I think the first one would do well, the second and third, depending on what name value depending, you put on there. Also depending upon what happened in the first. Yeah, and that depends on what happened in the first. But I, re- I it will always be name value. To me, it'll be name value based on... But I think you have to headline it with a title shot between two. You know, between two promotions, you have to headline it. And That's so, where you just lost me. Well, here's the only thing. The, uh, I'm not saying it would be great, but it's not going to happen. You're right. But, well, I think it could. If you have like Ryzen and, and Bellator, how we did Horiguchi and uh, yeah. Caldwell. If you have promote PFL. You, I'm sure I'm sure maybe the UFC wouldn't want to put one of their champions, which would be fine. Let not Don't let them do it. But then you, you, you have, if you have the UFC top 10 or top 15 guys in there on that card, you're going to get people viewing. Okay, so the UFC fans will view. So that's not the thing. They're going to stick around and watch whoever the main card fight is, whether it be, you know, um, you know, it, it doesn't, I don't even know. I can't even go all based off of it. Whoever is in the PFL, the champion is there. You know, let's just say Lance Palmer and Patricio. They'll tune oh, in for that. Oh, that'd be that. good. That's it. See, they would tune in for that fight. They, you know what I mean? Like they, they've already watched all the UFC guys. They've already watched the Bellator guys. They've, I'm just throwing names out there. But I could tell you the PFL would probably like to do it. 
Bellator yep. has already proven that they would do it with Ryzen. And I'm not saying, I'm, I'm just hopeful. That's all I'm talking about. I'm just being hopeful. And I think in time, it would outdo the numbers in combat sports. It would outdo the numbers. If you did it once a year, like a New Year's show, like Japan used to do with Pride, or if you did it maybe once every two years, you know how, you know, you have Olympics, uh, they go every four, but I'm saying like you have the summer and the winter, you know, you do it every two years. It gives people an expectation because then it gives, it gives the rankings time to change. If you did it every year, the rankings don't really change a whole lot in a year. Sometimes they do, but only in certain weight classes. If you did it every two or three years, it would be fun. It would be really fun. Like, hey, this is a four-year plan. I mean, you know, the best guys getting there and, and best girls getting there at that time. It'd be exciting, you know? And then it would also put more pressure on the on the promotions to sign more top-level fighters um, in all, in women and in men. Because right now, a lot of some of the promotions don't have women. You know, and they do have women, but they don't have a lot of them. You know, like the Bellator, we're, they're trying to get a lot more women because the UFC has a, yet they've signed a lot of women they, they inherited from Strike Force. You know, and so then they added on to their to their women's divisions as well. So I'm hopeful. I'm not holding my breath, but I am hopeful. Well, since I said I had zero influence, yeah. I'm putting it all on you, you make it happen. <laughs> I've been trying, man. I've been hustling for it. Gian, what do you got? Right. Two, we'll do two more. Two more? All right. Two Sounds more. Good. Next question is from Nas. Josh, you've worked with Islam and Khabib. Javier has come out and said Khabib is on a different level to all the fighters. Uh, do you think Islam can ever fill Khabib's shoes as a champ? It, okay, you so look. answer that one for you? Yeah, go ahead. Can, can Islam be the champ? Yes. But what you're looking at in Khabib Nurmagomedov is a different breed. He's just different than the rest, and he's different than Islam. There's things about Khabib that makes him special, and those special athletes don't come around, you know, every year, every two years, every five years. It, they're the, they're the guy that comes around every ten to twenty years. You'll find that guy. Khabib in the lightweight class is that guy. He is just unique in the fact that he, you know, he says it. He smashes good fighters. I mean, good fighters. He makes look bad. Every fight that I ever did of Khabib's, he crushed the guy that was a good fighter across from him. I mean, walked down Edson Barbosa like Barbosa had no stand-up. Took him down at will. Talks to him. You, you ought to hear the stuff Khabib is saying. And none of it is nasty, but it's, and it's all true when he's talking to his opponent as he is beating the dog shit out of them, you know, and he's just telling them, you need to give up. Mm -hmm. You need to stop. If you, if you tap, I will stop hitting you. Yeah. <laughs> he just, and he just is nonstop doing it. And although Islam is great, there are little factors. And we're talking, when we talk about this, it's little percentages that create that difference between great and legend. And Khabib has that difference. Well, there's a couple things. Is the reason why Khabib, I think, is is getting what he is getting now is there's one is that he's the first. He's the first real Dagestan champion. Like, you know, and then he the way he came off with, you know, the the little the what do they call him? 
Polkoff, uh, the hat. I call it a Q-tip. Yeah. <laughs> so the way he comes across, like the way he came out Those with are that, awesome. and it's grown to be this big deal now. I mean, you see little kids wearing them at UFC events. It's a big deal. He, you can't, there's, there can only be one. There's Michael Bisbing for the yep. UK. There's George yep. St. Pierre for Canada. You've got those guys that have just stood out that they come from there. There's Conor McGregor for Ireland, James Gallagher, Kiefer Crosby, all the other ones that come behind great him. Great fighters. They're all great fighters, but they're but not going to do it. They're not Conor. You know, and the same thing, none of those guys that come from the UK are going to be Michael Bisbing, you know, and the ones that come from Canada, they're not going to be GSP. That's just not going to yeah. happen. They're not going to, they can't do it. And, and none, no one, no matter how good they are, are is going to be Khabib. It, there's a lot of things that Khabib did right. There's the way he does his interviews, the way he's he's very energetic, the way he talks, but in a very his his accent makes it sound like he's not being offensive, but in a very offensive way. Like bring me your chicken, okay? I will kick you, I will beat your chicken boy or whoever he is. You know, I will smash this boy or this chicken. You know what I mean? Like those are things that because of the way he says it, because of his this accent, this is number one bullshit. This is number one bullshit. <laughs> these are things. These are things that will separate him forever in the eyes of people that have watched him fight. Islam says all these things as well, but it does. It doesn't come across with the personality that Khabib has, and that will come with confidence and time. But by then, it's too late because Khabib has already laid the, the groundwork for it all. So he then, he, then he's then he's just a copy. It's just a, it, you can you can. Have, He's the first, and that's hard to beat. He's the original. He's the first. And the other thing as well, I will say this, and I say this very respectfully. If I compare the two of them inside the gym, <coughs> Islam is the better fighter. But when it comes time to fight in that cage, Islam, like when the two of them are sparring, Khabib is the big brother. That's just how it goes. And I don't know if it's a respect thing or what, but Khabib is the big brother. In a in an MMA fight, Khabib has when he gets in that cage is a different person than when he gets when Islam gets in that cage. Islam sometimes will let the fight happen in front of him. Khabib will make the fight happen in front of him. And there's a there's a difference. Okay, Islam will stand and trade. Islam will stand and he'll do things. But Khabib just says, "No, this is what I'm going to do, and you're going to take it, and that's it. That's all." Like he says, "If you if you want to, you want this to stop." Just tap and we can end this. <laughs> yep. He's letting you know, like, I'm going to keep doing this until I'm done with you, you know? And that's it. Islam, you saw with the Nick Lentz fight and stuff. He, Nick Lentz should have never been in that fight. If what I've seen from Islam in the in the cage and in the, uh, and in the gym, Nick Lentz should have never been in that fight. Islam is fucking really good. Bet he's so bet is Nick Lentz. No, no, he is. I'm, I'm not the saying Clint, that. I'm not saying Carney is good. He's no, a good fighter. He's very good. He is. Yeah. He is. I, no way is that a dig at him. Yeah. I just see that Islam potentially has so much more potential that hasn't even been tapped yet. And I don't know if that's just them like working on their growth spurts and trying to get better individually as they go. But Khabib's been there. He's been there for, I don't know, seven or eight fights now already. He's been there. Just different times, different people. Um, but to me, Islam is the better fighter, but when it comes to translating it inside the cage, when it comes fight night, it doesn't translate as well as it does like with Khabib, how he just controls from the beginning of the bell to the end of the bell, the whole fight. Plus, like I said, the first, the first makes a big difference. Huge. The original. Next. All right. Next question is from, uh, Asabi Nilsson. 
who would win the fantasy fight that we never got? George St. Pierre uh, versus Anderson Silva. Wait, Simple. Wh Wait, what was this? Who who wins the fight? Who would win the fantasy fight between Anderson Silva and George St. Pierre? And are we saying at the peaks of their careers? Yeah, let's just say that. I still say, I always said George St. Pierre would beat him. You think so? George, yeah, I do. And just based upon things that they did inside the cage, and Anderson was tough at being taken down, but not great in the takedown defense, where George was great with his MMA wrestling. George was able to close distance well. He was able to take great wrestlers off of their feet and put them on their back. And if you're going to match up their ground games, I'm telling you right now, Here's the difference. You say black belt with Anderson Silva. Yes, he's a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu under the Noguera brothers. Black belt in Jiu-Jitsu by George St. Pierre, but their black belts are of different levels. Yeah. George on the ground is a controlling, dominant fighter where Anderson has some you know, Jiu-Jitsu submission skill off of his back, but definitely not enough to submit George. And George would be just pounding on him. I always looked at that fight Although Anderson is a much bigger person, I always thought that George had the skill level to beat him. Yeah, I actually always lean towards George as well. It concerned me a little bit when the takedowns, like Chael had somewhat of a hard time occasionally getting the takedown. Sure, he dominated and was able to take down. He was, you know, up until the last, what, minute 40 of the fifth round. Yeah. You know, um, but the thing is, is that... He thought it was the fourth round. Yeah, but GS... <laughs> But G, but GSP has also shown that like, I I think I feel like he just it's if he can't get the takedown, he don't want to be on the feet with him. Anderson with the length and the reach, and GSP has been hit. And I don't want to say he's he was chinny because he, he could take some shots. Yeah. It's just Anderson the shot, the reach, the range. It would have made it harder for GSP to get in. So I was I, I would I would give it sixty forty GSP, but it's a tough tough fight. Well, of Just course the it size, is. They're both the length, phenomenal the fighters, both world champions. They're both great. Yeah. I just look at, truthfully, George is faster. Yeah. Okay? Just, just a little bit faster. And with the guys that George was able to take off of their feet as MMA fighters, he would definitely be able to take Anderson off of his feet. Not that Anderson couldn't score a knockout. He could. But I see that fight going a long ways. And as the fight progressed, it's just becoming more and more dominant in one guy getting in, taking a guy down, and keeping him on his back and doing damage and just winning rounds. So here's my smart fighter. The reason why I, I'm this is why it kind of has gotten me is that he did, GSP talked about that Bisbing was probably the strongest guy he'd ever fought. Mm hmm. And I'm, I'm like, yeah, you went up to 85, but if you would have fought Anderson, I, I, I don't know. Like it just, it would have been like, if you had a hard time with, with Bisbing, Bisbing was good and he's good. I just, I don't know. I just, somewhere in there, I just got lost a little bit. Anderson did things that, oh, the length, special. the reach and yeah, but, just special and just. But Bisping did yeah. beat Anderson. Yeah. Yeah, he did. You know, everyone forgets that, and it's like, you know, and there was a moment in there where you could say, "Well, Anderson beat Bisping, mm, no. had him knocked out, but it didn't stop." But it was, you know, he's the one that got the win, and so just George, you know, Anderson wasn't able to get rid of Bisping. George yeah. got rid of Bisping. Yeah. George 
submitted Bisping. He hurt him, submitted him, choked him unconscious. You know, a lot older, says a, a lot, lot older Anderson Silva. I get that it. Lost, I understand. That lost, yeah. Yes. So even, but, but again, younger, it was, an, it was, but it was an older George St. Pierre. Yeah. That, that beat Bisping. Yeah. So we're saying prime, prime at a certain point, George was so dominant. Yeah. Now, so was Anderson. So, yeah. you know, it, it's, it can go either way, and I can see where someone would sit there and say, "You're wrong." Okay, I'm wrong. I just look at it, and I've I always felt that being in the cage with both guys and seeing what they did and how they did it, and, what, and knowing what gave each one problems, what George does gives Anderson more problems than what Anderson did in giving George problems. Yeah, because what George would do is once he did take you down, he would try to pass, mount, do those oh, things. Yeah. Chael Sonnen didn't do that. He tried to stay Never. inside the guard. Stay in guard. Yeah, he just stay in guard, do work, do work, which ultimately was the death of him. But he just if he would have tried to get the half guard or mount, I think he would have had a lot more success. Maybe not mount. So I can well, you, you, know, you take a look at Chael against Anderson in that fight. It, that was UFC 117. You talk about success. I, th- I think on all judges' scorecards, Chael had had two 10-8 rounds in wow. the four rounds that he had won you know so he was doing good yeah he was you know, he was he was he was absolutely putting a whooping on anderson he just made a mistake and got caught fell back into his butt where you go you can never do that yeah that's you know, and, me you know, just it happens yeah I, that close yeah uh you know what let's do one more all right so last question is going to come from uh nano what is John McCarthy's worst stoppage ever? <laughs> Man, <that's>, oh no, <laughs> oh no! If I said one more, you're probably to get. Oh, like, I saw it, dude. Damn it, Josh. Okay. Here, here's here's the thing that cracks me up is, you know, Josh, I I want you to think back to uh, when you were first fighting, and how you really didn't know anything. Yep. You knew you knew, you thought you knew, but you you knew so little, and I get. The, the funny part is I just had I, someone just sent a thing on Twitter and it was of uh, Orlando Veet against a guy named Robert Lucarelli, which was from UFC too. And he's saying, he says, you know, you know, he's getting his hair pulled. Why are you letting him pull his hair? It's like, because it was legal. That <laughs> <laughs> is like the, you know, the, the fights that were, if, if I was going to say I made a big mistake were the, long time ago, you know, Sakuraba against uh, Conan Silvera, now, and and I would you know, there were circumstances beyond it. Sakuraba was brought in last minute. He was a pro wrestler. He had he had had supposedly one MMA fight. It was against Kimo Leopoldo, and Kimo had won. And then we were told it was a work, and so that work means that it was it had a you know predetermined outcome like yeah. pro wrestling. So I was told by my boss at the time, Bob Myrowitz, hey. We cannot have anybody get hurt. This is the first first time we're in Japan. Get, you know, if this guy starts to get hurt, get him out of there right away. So I was thinking those things, and and I made a, a poor stoppage when he went down. Even though he was getting beat at the time and he got hit, he went down for a, a shitty low single. But I said that oh he got hurt and stopped the fight. Terrible stoppage. But I think at the time that was probably somewhere around I had done, you know, fifty to seventy fights. That's how many I had refereed at that time in my life. Now. Now I'm up, you know, when I retired, somewhere in the 10,000. You know, big difference. Yeah. You know, the second one that I made a huge mistake in was uh, Matt Linlin when he fought 
Merlo Bustamach. And I, and I talk about that one all the time where Lin Lin tapped. I thought I saw him tap. He right away says, I did not tap. And I thought I made a mistake. And at the time, the only thing I could do according to the rules, since I had stopped the action, was put them both to their feet and have them re-engage. I couldn't leave them in the position, put them back to a position. That wasn't allowed. So I did what the only thing I could do, but it was a horrible thing. So those are my two that just haunt me to this day. And you got to figure those are both over 20 years ago. Wow. So I get, I get a lot of blame for Brian Johnson, them saying I broke his nose. I didn't break his nose. I did bloody his nose. though. Yeah, I heard it was yeah. broken. <laughs> it was not broken. Well, he trained at AK at the time. So a lot of it was he was broken. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. He broke his nose. Boy, did he, I tell you what, did he break, the guy he was fighting was a guy named Reza Nazari, who was supposedly Persian and a good wrestler. And Brian, you know, takes him down and stuffed his nose over into his right eyeball. It was that broken. It was so bad. That's that's why I was, oh, get him off of there. And at the time, you know, back then, the UFC semaphore, they wanted this guy that ran people off and over. And I had to, I had to tell him, hey, I have to stop. I'm going to hurt somebody. Yeah. This is not good because they don't expect me to be coming in there. They're not, they're not anticipating it. I'm going to end up doing something that's bad. I'm, I'm stopping this. And they were like, no, we love it. We love it. And it was uh-uh. like, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. And so, you know, everything is a learning process. But the ones that I get blamed for a lot, they're usually 20, at least 20 years old. That's funny. You said, like, when you look back at stuff, like, you, you realize how much you didn't know. Oh, and I look back at my so first, much. I look back at my first UFC fight with Gerald Strebet and I was like, man, I fucking the things that I didn't know, didn't know. <laughs> I, was, I was like, what the fuck are you doing? You're in the UFC and I look like I had never fought before. <laughs> it was like, oh no. Yeah. Just crazy stuff. Yeah. It's funny. You don't know what you don't know until you know. Yep. We had a good talk about that with Aaron Pico. He's just like, man, yep. going on to uh, Greg Jackson's and. All the things that he's learned and adjusted to lives out there now. That's his home and making the adjustments in the field for it. Yeah. It's it. You don't like exactly. You just, you don't know until you know, until you get in there and really get after it. So that's it. All right, guys. Well, Hey, I want to thank you guys for tuning in. Hope you guys enjoyed this midweek show. And, uh, Gian, are you doing the edit or are you sending it to Dave? Uh, I think I'm doing the edit. Oh, okay. So if there's any mess Ooh, ups with the see, edit, man. you guys it's can blame Gian's Gian. It's all Gian's fault. <laughs> um, I like to put blame on other people every opportunity I get. So, but hey, you guys, thank you for uh, tuning in and listening. Hit the thumbs up on the YouTube. That shares our videos to everyone else. We appreciate it. Tell a friend it. about us. Tell a friend about us. Share our videos. If you guys like something we said, or if you don't like something we said, go ahead and share that as well. Um, okay. Instagram uh, is The Real Punk, John McCarthy MMA. John, you got an Instagram? Yeah, I do. It's G-I-A-N-X-H-I-L. Okay, I don't know what that All is. Right. But if you guys can, follow Gian. Uh, Gian's done some stuff for us before. Uh, super nice kid. We might trade him one day for podcast day. Um, and the last thing, go Vols. Oh, he's got Gian, – Gian, Gian's wearing Kentucky right now. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, okay. little animosity okay. there. Okay. Boom, boom, boom. Um, also, go to ProWrestlingTees.com slash Wayne In. Hit our uh, pictures there and pick up one of our shirts. We have four models up, different color options as well. We thank you guys so much for sharing us. Our numbers are growing because of you guys, and uh, we truly appreciate it. You guys have a wonderful week, and we'll talk to you guys after the DC and Stipe fight this weekend.